Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to Tell Me Leather Podcast. I'm Logan. Here with me today are Andrew and Artem, and we are talking about the ACC. How's it going today, Andrew? Not too bad. You know, we're two weeks and a day out from the start of the season. I mean, technically, we have week zero this week again with actually a pretty exciting game, but we'll get to that in a minute. I've got I've got holes in my life that need to be filled. I I am just I can't wait for football, man. I I some something's missing in my life. It did plan into my alliteration. Artem is also here, and Artem, what I was reading an article on earlier this week is I just realized college football is the shortest of the all the sports seasons out of the NFL, MLB, you know, basketball, any of that stuff. And is it? Do you think that the shortness is plays into how sweet we feel the college football season is? Probably. You know, it's one of those things, kind of like you said. When if it was all year round thing, we probably wouldn't fully appreciate it. But because it is only a few times, a few months out of the year, people still manage to schedule their fucking weddings. During football season. <laughs> do, do you want to go off real quick before we actually get into the ACC? That's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. That's why I got married in August. And we all appreciate it, Andrew. Well, with that in mind, we're going to break the alliteration. We'll talk about the big boy first, since I'm sure everybody's waiting to hear about Clemson. And go ahead and get it out of the way. Andrew, uh, why don't you lead us off? What what are we looking at as far as Clemson's got on the on the schedule this year? Do they have anything to worry about? No. I mean, their toughest games week week two, where they host A and M, and they get that at Clemson. They get Florida State at Clemson. Uh, they have to go to Syracuse. I guess you could argue Syracuse maybe the second best team in that division. Or maybe NC State. They go to NC State as well. But I think Clemson's just so head and shoulders ahead of everyone in the conference. You know, they recruited incredibly well. They just keep building. You know, it's become a machine now. And so uh, you love for a challenger to come up, but I don't see one in the Atlantic. And, you know, we all, as we all know, the Coastal's a clusterfuck. So, I mean, I think it's Clemson's to lose. They get a ton back offensively. You know, Trevor Lawrence is obviously back, who's unbelievable. The defense did lose a bunch, but one of the things that Clemson was able to do last year because they just beat the ever-living shit out of everyone is they played a lot of depth. And I remember seeing a stat for a couple of games where Clemson would play 65, 70, 75 players in a game. So they were rolling as many guys as they could to get in, to get experience, to have chances to play. So why the guys maybe a little young, they probably played a decent amount of snaps. I mean, do you care to go into more detail on that, Artem? Like, who are we looking for on the Clemson side, on Clemson, who's got, as far as players that we can expect to have a big impact this season? Yeah, Clemson's one of the teams that, you know, if you told me five years ago that Clemson was going to have 44 active players in the NFL. I don't think, you know, I would have agreed with you. I probably have argued of, you know, what are you talking about? But right now they have 44 active NFL players. 
Um, that's a big statistic. You know, Florida State used to kind of rule that division, but Clemson's come out hard, and they've had two classes now back to back that were uh, first place in the ACC and top ten classes in the nation. So, when you're looking at their roster, you're you're full of talent. It's an Alabama kind of style of, of um, you know next man up. So that's kind of what we're looking for. Uh, is for a while now, Clemson's been pretty loaded. We Even when they got to the championship in the playoffs, I don't think we fully expected the same thing from them as we expected from Alabama during the years that they were continuously making playoffs. So I would say this is kind of the first time where we're looking at them and we're saying, okay, um, is Clemson going to come back with this completely pretty much new group? I would say Trevor Lawrence is the big name, but most of the guys around him on both sides of the ball are going to be relatively, you know, they weren't around three years ago type of guys including Trevor Lawrence. So I would say if they do have some major injuries uh, that cause us to question their depth, that's where we're going to see, are they able to recover? Is it really the next man up? Can the freshman or the sophomore behind an injured upperclassman come in and have a, the same impact um, as the player before him and essentially we won't miss him? And one of those guys uh, that they'll be missing is Amari Rogers for kind of the first month of the season, maybe longer. He tore his ACL in spring, and he was supposed to be a really good wide receiver from them. for them. Uh, they have another wide receiver coming back from injury from 2019. Um, but that's the thing. They're, they're a loaded wide receiver group, and we'll kind of see how that'll that'll impact them. They don't have Hunter Renfro anymore. You know, as long as we've been watching Clemson, that's been in the playoffs. Hunter Renfro has been the big name. <laughs> I say big name, but he's kind of a small dude, big player though. When he's been on the field, he's been the name you heard about the most, especially during those championship games. So now you have Trevor Lawrence, you have ETN, you have all these playmakers that were um, relatively new last year. What do these guys look like this year, and do they have that true depth after stacking on those classes? Gotcha. I mean, it's it's fair to say, and as Andrew was pointing out, I mean they're just. No one can argue they are a stacked team, and I think they're definitely the front runner to go off of. One thing I wanted to touch on while I was still while we're on there, a little off topic of Clemson, but uh, the ACC Network, their first big game, uh, for some reason they picked Clemson and Georgia Tech. Uh, I don't know if that's the one you want to highlight to lead off your uh, programming, but. It is, it is kind of nice, and now the ACC network is picking up, uh, getting picked up by Spectrum. They're looking at Comcast to get picked up. Um, really quick, Andrew, while we're kind of reaching off topic, what do you think of the ACC network right now as a comparative against um, the SEC? Because obviously the only big draw as far as naming goes, to my knowledge, is Clemson. Is that going to be enough of a draw for these big-time networks to sign on? Well, I think so. The biggest thing that helps the ACC network is, much like the SEC network, they've paired with ESPN. So if I remember correctly, what's actually happening is the ESPN News channel is dropping, and it's becoming the ACC network. And so that's one of the things that's really helped with distribution is actually somewhere the Pac-12 network struggled – is the, is the ACC said, we're going to partner with ESPN, who already exists, who already does all of this, and work through their distribution models to really help us expand. And I'm super excited for the ACC network, mainly because they hired Wes Durham 
who growing up for me, Wes was the voice of the Yellow Jackets. And so just listening to him, you know, he is Mr. ACC in my mind and to me. And so it's so exciting to see he's been brought in to do a daily TV or radio show. Kind of like Fine Bomb, but I don't think it's going to be as crazy. Just because as weird as the ACC is, we're not the, the fun kind of crazy that the SEC is. Uh, it also gives a home for a lot of your your non-revenue sports. Baseball, soccer, lacrosse. like Some of these kind of fun, cool sports that will be exciting to see what kind of exposure they can get now that they kind of have a home. It will be fun to see. I mean, I... I personally was impressed by what the SEC network did. I think most people feel that the ACC is a little behind on the draw, but it is good to see them taking advantage of the opportunity and kind of trying to get back into uh, an economic move that's equivalent to the SEC and the Big Ten and some of these other major college football networks. Uh, does kind of lead into the whole discussion about paying players, but we're going to dodge that today. Uh, Artem, do you got any thoughts on the ACC network before we move forward? There's definitely a draw, especially on the northeast coast. I think they'll have to adjust and air their games properly for you know the the time zone to make sure people actually watch them. And uh, for them, since you know they're at the beginning of the United States, kind of the the sun hits there first. You're going to see a lot of early games, I think, um, because potentially. The rest of the country may or may not be up, but also that means other games aren't airing. So um, maybe we'll have more (laughs) all-day football kind of situation. Get up at 6, start watching the ACC network, and then stay up for uh, Pac-12 after dark. You know what? I can live with that. All right, but uh, let's go ahead and move on to the next team we're talking about on the official list now that we got the ACC network out of the way. Andrew, Dino Babers is doing some really crazy stuff up at Syracuse as far as uh, recruiting and talent-wise. I think a lot of people are looking at Syracuse this year. This could be the year they come in second in the Atlantic just because Clemson's so good. What can what do you want to tell us about Clemson – Syracuse? Well, their, their crossover games are Pitt and Duke. So two very winnable games off the bat right there, which are going to help them out. Uh, week three or two at Maryland will be a kind of fun non-conference game to get a feel for both how good Syracuse is and how good Maryland is. You know, week three against Clemson, they have to go to NC State on a Thursday night. They have to go to Florida State. Those will be just tough environments. NC State, especially on a Friday night, can get a little spooky and a little rowdy, especially now that the state of North Carolina allows beer to be served in stadiums. So that's that's going to be really exciting. I, and in terms of Babers, I love what he's done there. He's really kind of found a way in a strange place and a tough place to recruit to build a program. Their biggest question is they've got to replace Eric Dungy. You know, Tommy DeVito played a little bit last year, but you know, is he going to be able to step into those big shoes? Gotcha. All right. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Artem, do you have anything to add on to that? Yeah. Kind of like Andrew mentioned, you know, Clemson played a lot of players in garbage time. Uh, it looks like Tommy DeVito got quite a bit of play time last year, especially when Dungy was injured. And he's actually uh, the second highest ranked quarterback that they've ever signed. 
at Syracuse. So looking at kind of their their historical classes, they have seven players on campus that are top 20 talent players. Um, for a school like Syracuse, who's hasn't recruited as well as the rest of the ACC, that's, that's a good thing. That means that some of their biggest talent is on campus now. So will that Syracuse development pipeline continue on building that and bring more of these guys than they brought out out of the lower ranked players before them? That's kind of what we're looking for. Tommy DeVito is ranked higher than Dungy was. So uh, they're looking for him to, at the end of his career, be better. So we're looking for don't get injured and then use the experience around you, which there's a ton of on the, um, the first string charts that's your advantage you know don't don't make any big mistakes and as long as they do that and they use their senior running backs their their transfers their kind of experienced o-line they should be able to stay in uh, most games does syracuse have the depth where they can survive any injuries not really but this is a i mean in the past i would say no but if you look at their too deep now there's quite a bit of transfers so as long as you know it's, it's not too early in the season hopefully those transfers will get a little bit more accustomed to that school and if even if davita goes down he's got a transfer and clayton walsh behind him or the senior running back's got a uh abdul adams behind him as a transfer so there's there's quite a bit of transfers on the two deep the good thing for them is not a lot of those are starters they're all kind of the backups to the guys they've been developing the last couple years I mean, Andrew, this is another side question for you. I guess uh, Syracuse has been on this tear of wins as as far as the past few seasons has gone. Uh, are we looking at a potential mini-dynasty uh, coming out of Syracuse? Obviously, it's going to be difficult for them to actually win the ACC as long as Clemson's there. But are they looking at a team that could potentially down the road keep up the 9-win, 10-win operations for three to five years i think so i think that was the biggest thing with babers came in is he wanted to really change the culture and i think he's done a really good job of doing that at syracuse and kind of all i'm touched on they're recruiting better than they have which syracuse is a tough place to recruit to you know it's in upstate new york it gets cold there's not a lot of talent in the northeast so they really kind of have to plumb the florida area is really an area where they can kind of make a living and they've done a lot better getting into some of your traditional ACC states and signing some kids. So that's really helped them out. Okay. Well, moving on, we got a team that has kind of fallen off of their dynasty high FSU. So Artem, I, my understanding is there's a lot of uh, movement as far as players go at FSU. You care to enlighten us as far as what's going on up there, down there? Well, I think the, the biggest news was uh man what is his name i'm blanking out andrew help me out who's the guy that got kicked out of school at florida state uh talking about francois yeah francois got DeAndre kicked out. Francois. um after having a bunch of injuries so that dude did not live up to his expectations but the team is still not fully willie taggart's team he's still kind of dealing with some leftovers from jimbo still having to retool a little bit he's got a little bit of a different offense it's less smash mouth more uh spread and because of that they're they're figuring out how to do this right last year you saw the 
not only did the, did they not have depth at O line because as people got injured they had to play backups who hadn't had any experience. Those players on campus also weren't didn't have the right tool set for that offense. So as Willie Taggart uh, is kind of figuring out how he's going to get this team to more wins than last year. We're, we're kind of looking at, is he going to play transfers that have come in over starters that he has now? Um, and that's because they may be better fit for his offense uh, versus the guys on campus like Cam Akers, who obviously have a ton of talent, but were super underutilized or were behind a crappy line last year. So how do you use that talent, Cam Akers? I think he was the number one back coming out of uh, high school. How do you use that guy and what all the bursts he has in the correct functions you know when when Jimbo played him uh it was very like I said smash mouth right down the middle guy broke tackles did well uh Willie Taggart came in completely different offense you're now having to dodge defenders in the backfield because they were you know it was completely new to them and at the same time it was more uh speed based more kind of jittery versus power so we're kind of looking at how if he's going to retool this roster or the transfers that he likes that he brought to the school are going to start over uh, the guys he had last season that he kind of learned and grew with. And, you know, how do we get this team to more wins? There's plenty of talent on the roster, uh, plenty of big recruiting classes. Um, they had the number two class in 2019 and the ACC top 25 class in the country, uh, a little lower than they're used to as far as the country goes. Um, less four stars I will say than they're used to but you still got a bunch of guys out of what they call the deep south these these three stars are four star players in the big 12 so how do you use this talent now and keep developing the guys behind them so when somebody goes down you're not screwed for that game right and you keep talking about more wins I think the main focus here is they missed a bowl game for the first time in like 20 years last year which was, I think, insane to a lot of people. I mean, it made a lot of other teams in Florida happy, but if you're an FSU fan, that's got to be one of the roughest years you've ever seen. And I got to imagine Willie Taggart is sitting on the hot seat pretty bad right now. I don't know that they would necessarily get rid of him in the middle of the season, but if they have another bad year where they don't make a bowl game, I think people are going to start looking at that program pretty seriously. Uh, especially after they uh, let go, you know, let Jimbo Fisher kind of get away and all that. Andrew, I'm going to pass it to you. Do you think they've got enough talent with the teams they've got on the schedule to make a bowl game? I think they can make a bowl game. It is a tough schedule because the two they get as crossovers are Virginia and Miami, the two teams who I think most people consider to be the top of that dumpster fire that is the Coastal. And they have to go to Virginia, which I don't know if anyone else has Scott Stadium voodoo, but it's a weird place. The The interesting one is Walt Bell, the offensive coordinator, left to take the UMass job. And so Taggart went and hired Kendall Bryles from FAU, which on the football field, between the lines, as just a coach – Kendall Browse has been fantastic everywhere he's been. He's been a great offensive coordinator. He's really been able to to have quick turnarounds with teams, and they put up a lot of points. And so it'll be interesting to see what he does out of Florida State, as Artem said, where they've got some talent. You know, James 
Blackman's probably going to be the starter quarterback. The offensive line is really the the thing. I mean, the offensive line was as bad as you could possibly be last year. So that's where you're going to have to see growth. Uh, the the thing though is again, as Artem said, they're so talented on paper. You know, they had an awful year last year, and they still won five games. You know, now they they didn't score a lot of points. They lost some games they probably shouldn't have lost, but. I think there are enough places where they can pick up wins. They don't have to play Notre Dame this year. They do get Boise State week one in Jacksonville, which I think will be a really exciting game. If that's one that they can sneak a win out of, then I definitely see a bowl game for them this year. How worried should Willie Taggart be uh, given the current situation? Do you think he's pretty solid at the end of the year, or does he actually need to show a performance? I think he's fired if he doesn't make a bowl game. All right. I'm glad I wasn't crazy there. All right. So, no, I mean, I think Florida State's one of those schools where they don't they don't take bad for long. Well, and uh, they don't take bad for short either. So, we'll see. No, not really. So, uh, yeah. But uh, speaking of bad for long, uh, Louisville. <laughs> Uh, Louisville's been in kind of a rut ever since their, uh, oh my gosh, I've forgotten his name. Andrew, the quarterback. No, quarterback. Oh, Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson. There you go. Ever since Lamar Jackson took off, they've been in a bit of a rut. So I'm not really sure what to make of Louisville this year. I think a lot of people are kind of looking at them as being a, I I hate to say it's a dark horse because no one's going to beat Clemson, but you know. As kind of like a low-key team that's going to perform, I suppose. Um, I really don't know much about this Louisville team, though. Uh, Andrew, do you care to enlighten me a bit about what people are seeing out of this coaching staff and what people are seeing out of this team? Well, the schedule doesn't start off easy. They play Mon- They play Notre Dame on a Monday night, and then they have to play Virginia and Miami as their crossovers. And they end the year at, I mean, a Kentucky team that we don't think is going to be very good, but, you know, us thinking they're not going to be very good in the SEC still probably means they're a six-win team. I I just want to quote, um, I don't know if you guys read the Athlon Sports previews, but they do a neat part where they ask opposing coaches about different programs. And one of the comments in the Louisville one is, this is a total rebuild. This might be more difficult than Georgia Tech. And so, and you wow. can see it. I mean, that gave up. I mean, you could watch a ton of Louisville games, especially later in the year last year. I mean, the Georgia Tech game is a perfect example. They just quit. They absolutely get hit in the mouth, and they quit. And so the guy they brought in in Scott Satterfield, who went 51-24 and 24 in six years at Appalachian State, is a really good coach. And I think is the guy that they brought in for a long-term culture change. And I think he's going to be able to do that. And I think they're going to give him a long leash. You know, I think he's going to have three to five, even six years to really kind of drill in and rebuild this program. Because Louisville recruited fairly well under Bobby Petrino. You know, they had some talent. They've got some talent on the team. They just – everyone just gave up last year. So that's the biggest thing he's got to do is get all of these players to buy in to what they're trying to do. And, And I think Satterfield's the guy to do that. Do they make a bowl game this year? Absolutely not. But I think they maybe win more than the two games they won last year. 
Well, I think everybody's hoping they win more than two games. Uh, Satterfield. I think Kentucky fans probably aren't. Yeah, that's fair. Kentucky fans probably not a huge fan, but Satterfield's an interesting one because we've seen his success at Appalachian State, and he's really blown people away with his performance there. I think it'll be interesting to see what he's doing, what he can do at a P5 program, even if it is Louisville. Now, Artem, is he going to have the talent to work with uh, starting off this year to really make something happen on the field? We'll see. There's nothing, no name on the roster that really jumps out at you and says, hey, I remember this guy. He's good. So that usually doesn't speak volumes about the talent. But the good thing is there's not a lot of freshmen in the two deep, so these guys at least have football experience, per se. Um, we'll see. This year is going to be kind of a jumping-off year for them because the last, kind of Andrew mentioned it, but last couple of years they were recruiting in the 30s and middle of the pack for ACC. This last year when Satterfield came in, they are the last in the ACC and 69th in the country, which is pretty bad. So they're going to have to get some wins this year uh, to get some better talent on campus that will match kind of the, the production that and the the body type that was expected from Satterfield when he was at Appalachian State. So he's working with a lot of the guys that were already on campus. A lot of them have a lot of football experience. It's just how you get them to do what you want them to do and buy into the program. Gotcha. Well, hopefully Satterfield can get some success there. I want to see – Satterfield succeed. I'm not don't really know that I really care about Louisville itself, but it'd be interesting to see another big name coach kind of come to fruition. Uh, moving on, we got NC State. So NC State's looking to move up and become kind of the big time program in North Carolina. Uh, that after their performance last year, I mean, is which is hard to do. You've got Duke, you got UNC. Wake Forest is kind of moving in the correct direction now. so But NC State has had the talent and they've had the coaching in recent years to kind of move the dial in the right direction. And I think a lot of people are looking at them as, uh, especially NC State fans, obviously, are looking at it as a why not us kind of team. And that's fascinating to me. I don't know that this is going to be – uh, a year where they can up Syracuse. In fact, that's a game I'm going to be going to live, and I'll be really excited to see how they perform on the field. But this is a team that has a lot of expectations on their shoulders in North Carolina. So I'm going to start with you, Arnim. What, Who on the field should we be watching f- for NC State? Shoot. Their offensive line maybe some defensive linemen. There's a, there's a very young team. They lost a lot to the NFL last year. Quarterback, wide receiver, leading tackler gone. Um, middle of kind of the center fielder of the defense, right? Um, it, it's going to be a relatively young team, even in the 2D. Their running back, Ricky Person, is a sophomore. The two guys behind them are both freshmen. Quarterback, sophomore, and then fr- freshman, sophomore, Q, uh, QB behind him. Uh, wide receivers or juniors have, have had a couple of years in the in the system, but they lost their best guy to the NFL early. Since so the guys behind them are are pretty much true freshmen as well, so you're looking at you know some of the offensive linemen and the the guys in the trenches to provide some of that leadership for the team. And it's an NC State program that has had really talented guys the last 
two, three years, and those guys are gone. So, like you said, they've been recruiting well. They've been using that momentum, and they're that Louisville when Petrino was there when Lamar Jackson was good. They got a lot of talent on campus. How much? How many wins can you get out of that talent, and can you develop the, the talent to play better um, than they would the level they were recruited at? If they're a three-star, can they play at a four- or five-star level? Well, and the other question becomes, uh, you know, like you said, what do you make of the talent that you got? I, I, I'm not, even if they're all young, younger freshman, sophomore players, how much can you make out of the talent that you've got right now? And right. And he's been recruiting smart. So the way that these classes, these classes are talented, like I said, but a lot of them are in the trenches, which is, that's what you do to win, right? Yeah, you can have a bunch of skill guys, but if you're not getting the right blocking or the right pass rush, nothing's going to happen. You need that disruption in the trenches and they seem to be prioritizing that. Well, Andrew, I mean, do we have, who's got to be scared about NC State coming into this season? Well, Wake doesn't because no matter how good NC State's been, Wake keeps beating them. I, I keep forgetting about that Wake. Like, I, and, and so I, I was kind of I, I liked NC State. You know, I, I, I respected them. You know, they never really wronged me. Living in Raleigh a couple of years kind of soured me a little bit just because dealing with their fan base got a little irksome. You're like, yeah, we get it. You won nine games. You still lost to Wake Forest. Congratulations. Well, um, I, that plays into why no one takes them seriously is they can't seem yeah. to win. Well, and this year this year sets up perfectly. They open week one against East Carolina, and this again sets up to be one of those years where NC State shit wins the day and East Carolina beats NC State. NC State we think is going to be pretty good. East Carolina we think is going to be pretty bad. So it sets up perfectly for NC State to lose to East Carolina. <laughs> but the schedule doesn't really hurt out of conference other than that they do go to west virginia which i think would be a really exciting game that was the game last year that was canceled or two years ago it was canceled no it was canceled last year because of the hurricane yes 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 and uh it's just a shame that they can't have it here uh they were supposed to have it at nc state and now i guess they gotta have it at west virginia but whatever yeah you make do they also they also get two teams from the coastal that we think we think are i think are going to be at the bottom in georgia tech and north carolina so they're really fighting with Syracuse for that third place or that second place in the division. Their biggest loss, other than obviously, you know, Ryan Finley, who threw for almost 4,000 yards, Reggie Gillespie, who rushed for over 1,000, and both Jacoby Myers and Kelvin Harmon, who were both 1,000-yard receivers. They also lost offensive coordinator Eli Drinkwitz, who's the new head coach at Appalachian State. So it's going to be really interesting to see the new OCs, Des Kitchings, George McDonald, it looks like they're splitting it to really see if they're able to kind of keep that efficient offense going that they had last year. And they've got to find a quarterback. Everybody's got to find a quarterback. That's just how it goes. That seems to be the answer to every question. Find a quarterback. Yeah. At football, at least. All right. Well, moving on, we've got the last two guys on the list in the Atlantic, uh, Andrew, why don't you go ahead and lead us off? I don't have as much to say about these guys, but I'm sure they'll be fun to watch in their own ways. Boston College. What are we looking for at Boston College? Well, it's been another steady program. Steve Adazio, again, made a bowl game. He's gone 51-49 and 49 in his – God, I keep forgetting that Steve Adazio has been in Boston College for eight seasons. <laughs> like, that's a long time. 
they they bring some talent back. The schedule it's kind of interesting. They they, they get to play Kansas and Rutgers back to back. So that's uh that's pretty cool, I guess. Uh, they do have to go to Notre Dame, which is going to be tough. And their crossover games are Pitt and Virginia Tech that we think are going to be pretty solid teams. So it, it's a it's a rough schedule. Um, you know, Adazio keeps kind of waffling. Like, he'll be on the hot seat, and then they'll win, like, seven or eight games, and then he'll be off the hot seat. So it'll be really interesting to see what – if he's able to keep – you know, they've obviously got a lot of talent coming back. A.J. Dillon, who is just a, a grown man running the ball. And their offense is really fun to watch because it's, it's an up-tempo, more traditional pro-style offense. You know, tight ends run the ball. You know, they don't really – go in the gun and spread you out like most of your tempo teams do. So it's really kind of a, a weird bastard stepchild. It's a lot of fun to watch if you get a chance. I like how you led off with it's, it, they play Rutgers and Kansas back to back. And then you're like, Oh, it's a tough schedule. I mean, I'm sure the well, rest of the schedule. I mean, the, the non-conference isn't very tough, but the, the conference is, you know, because again, they, they're at Clemson, at Syracuse. They play NC State at Clemson, at Syracuse, Florida State, all back to back to back. You're right. It's not. It's not going to be fun. I just find that amusing. And they have to go to Notre Dame. Like, uh, yeah, yes, they get Kansas and at Rutgers, but is it worth it? I mean, two. I would take on Georgia Tech's schedule. I would take two definite wins, but I mean, that's our schedule. Uh, Artem. What do you got to add as far as Boston College goes? Yeah, it's going to depend on A.J. Dillon and Anthony Brown. Those guys have been there and been playing pretty much since their freshman year, so that team's going to go where those two guys take them. A.J. Dillon seemed to carry a lot of the load last season, so hopefully in his third year, Anthony Brown can kind of shoulder some of that. And A lot of the games that they lost last season were because – he was making mistakes. Uh, people around him were injured, and they were kind of a one-dimensional offense. So, with experienced wide receivers and these guys being in the system for a while, you know, can they win games when they're down? Uh, if they're down a score, can they come back and score again? Um, they seem to drop the the games where and kind of give up almost, and where they were down several scores because they knew they couldn't come back. Uh, it, it's very dependent on having a good running game. They got most of their offensive line back, so except for their right tackle, who's going to be a retro freshman. Other than that, I mean, they're they're happy to be mediocre. So as long as, long as they make a bowl game, they'll continue to be happy to be mediocre. Well, and I think this is a team that is dependent on their defense in a lot of ways. They don't get into high-scoring shootouts with people. So, yeah, if you, they keep it close, you never know, but – they're not one of those teams that's going to let it – once a game gets out of hand, they're not going to find a way to get back into it usually. All right, next up on the list, Wake Forest. So, Artem, based on what Andrew already talked about, we know Wake Forest is going to beat NC State because that always happens. But other than that, what else can you tell us about Wake Forest? Not much. Not a lot of transfers couple freshmen playing in the, the with the ones so they got quite a bit of talent they're excited about um especially shamar mccollum on their defensive end so hopefully they can generate some pass rush it is a little bit of a complicated defense uh to you know maintain um 
so that a freshman's picking up that that's good news for them because they can actually make use of that talent but the recruiting classes they brought in really haven't been amazing they're they're probably a little better than wake forest is used to um and uh i, I think they'll beat a team like boston college but uh, there are other teams uh, in the ACC that they will be able to challenge. So the, the Florida States, the Clemsons, they don't come anywhere near to that level of talent. Um, just looking at their kind of recruiting rankings, uh, they brought in what, two four-stars over the last three years, and it's, it's steadily improving as the program grows, but we'll, we'll see what uh, what their new QB has in store for them with uh, Sam Hartman is going to be starting now. Um, he's got a lot of talent around him. A lot of guys have been there, especially on the offensive line, his right side. Uh, so I, I would uh, imagine they're going to rush to that side quite often. Uh, Andrew. Oh, sorry. Wake, Wake Forest. <laughs> so I've always liked Wake Forest, low-key. I'm a big fan. I think they're a program, especially with Dave Clawson, that is able to do significantly more with less. They... You know, they're a thorn in NC State side, which is always fun. They, uh, they're scheduled this year. This is the fun year where they scheduled to play UNC as a non-conference game. So they actually will play 10 or 9 ACC teams. But the UNC game is non-conference. So that's kind of exciting. <laughs> Wait, how does, they, how does that work? Does that happen a they, lot? No, it's the first time it's ever happened in the ACC. Wow. Uh, okay. Go ahead. Keep continue. Um, <laughs> yeah, they they did fire their defensive coordinator. I believe after the Notre Dame game, when Notre Dame hung fifty six on them. So Lyle Hemphill comes in to be the new DC. So it'll be interesting to see what he's able to do with a team that was not great defensively last year, but okay. I think the coolest stat that I saw for Wake Forest, and I didn't realize this, is Wake Forest averaged just twenty point six seconds between snaps. That was fourth fastest in FBS. Like that's insane. Nearly two snaps faster, two seconds per snap faster than anyone else in the ACC. I mean, you want to talk about an up tempo, snap the ball, run 110 plays a game. That's what Dave Clawson's been trying to do at Wake. How does that compare to Oregon? Do we have stats on that? I don't. I don't have the full numbers. Like I said, they were just fourth in the FBS last year. So that's, it'll be interesting to see. That's still pretty crazy. On a, on a, on a, I mean, ACC is going to have some tempo offenses this year. I mean, there's a lot of places that brought in guys that want to snap the ball as fast as possible. So that's going to be really exciting. But yeah, wait, the schedule, the non-conference, I mean, UNC's the, <laughs> UNC's the highlight of the non-conference because they play Utah State, Rice, and Elon, which they all should win. Although Elon, the coach Elon's done a good job of building that program, but they're still FCS. In terms of making a bowl game, this might be the year they take a step back. I just think that so many of the teams in the division have gotten that much better, and Wake's really not going to sneak up on anybody anymore. So I think that's going to be – you know, Louisville is, is a winnable one. Obviously, they have to beat NC State as is tradition. They go to Virginia Tech and play Duke as their crossovers. So, you know, that Virginia Tech, I think, will be a tough game. So I, I think a bowl game, again, would be successful. Dave Clawson is the first coach in Wake Forest history to have three consecutive bowl wins. So, you know, to be fascinating, he's definitely known as a guy who builds a program and then moves on. 
So it'll be interesting to see what he does in his six years. He tries to sustain some success, as well as if they make a bowl game or you know hit a hot streak and win eight or nine games. Someone's going to hire this man. He is an unbelievable coach. Well, and I think that's something that scares a lot of Wake Forest fans. But yeah, he is. He has done amazing things there. So that's nobody can deny. Uh, but yeah. All right, guys. Well, now we got to move out of the Atlantic, where everything is clear as day, and move into the stormy, chaotic coastal. Uh, I guess Virginia is the front runner. It's kind of hard to say because I think you're going to be hearing it a lot from us. Uh, this team is just not very good. <laughs> um, Virginia, I don't know what to what to put as far as they go. I guess they've just got the talent and the coaching. But, Andrew, I'll let you take it. Uh, what's, what's the Virginia situation looking like this year, and why are they the front runner in your book? They're the front runner because of Bryce Perkins, who's a perfect fit for the offense that Bronco Mendenhall and Robert and I want to run. And as he goes, they go. Uh, if he gets hurt, they're pretty much fucked. So they got to keep him healthy. The schedule... That week one game at Pittsburgh is going to be an interesting one because that could go a really long way in deciding the Coastal. They have to go to Notre Dame, which I don't think is going to end for them very well. Their crossovers are Florida State and Louisville, both winnable games in my mind. You know, the big monkey on the back is they still haven't beaten Virginia Tech. I want to say Virginia Tech's won something like like 15 or 16 straight. Like, it's, it's incredible, like, how – even, like, the bad Virginia Tech teams beat up – yeah, Virginia has not beaten Virginia Tech since 2003. And so – So only 16 years. You nailed it, though. Good for you. I did. Hey, you know, I knew exactly what it was. Um, and so that's the weird – you know, that's the monkey they really need to get off their back is – and they've had some close games, you know, went to overtime last year, but – you know, Virginia's the favorite, a mixture of, because no one knows what's going to come out of Miami, and they're kind of the most known quantity with the least amount of questions. And back to, to Perkins, you know, Mendenhall kind of showed it last year. He really got back to that Taysom Hill pistol option offense that he ran so successful at BYU. So it'll be interesting to see what they're able to do there. And then he's a defensive coach. So, you know, they've really slowly built and got better and better defensively. Gotcha. I mean, Artem, do you have anything to add as far as Virginia goes? I mean, are they also your favorite to win the ACC Coastal? I think there's some potential for upset there, but I think they're they're a strong competitor. Like Andrew said, they brought in Bryce Perkins, and he's got a lot of experienced senior talent around him, especially the wide receivers with Dubois and Reed. So those guys have been on campus for four years, and hopefully they've developed some chemistry over the offseason with Bryce Perkins. Yeah, it's going to be a team to watch this season. Well, I think the other thing to keep in mind is that if Virginia does win the ACC Coastal, that'll be seven teams that have won the Coastal in seven years, which is... That's why they have to win. Undeniable. Uh, Seven for seven, baby. All righty. Well, next up on the list, uh, UNC, a team that's looking to kind of move forward with some very new coaching decisions, uh, probably ones that Artem is not a huge fan of. But we'll get into that shortly with Andrew. But, Artem, 
What's the uh, talent situation looking like at UNC? Well, it's, you know, if we're counting torn ACLs and broken legs, they're, they look like they're going to have a lot of freshmen playing. Uh, last couple, in the last couple of seasons, they've had suffered a lot, quite a lot of injuries. But um, like you said, new coaching staff in there now and quite a bit of, of talent, which they've had flowing into uh, North Carolina for a long time now, even without Mac Brown. So uh, Mac Brown's a guy who has a good system, knows a ton of coaches after being in the business for a long time and then uh, being a broadcaster, and he was able to bring in some pretty good help. Now kind of looking at their depth chart, they do have a lot of freshmen playing, so it's going to be uh, kind of a learning curve for everybody once it starts, but I think they're going to be a force to be reckoned with by the end of the season. That's an interesting take on it. I mean, I think UNC fans would be happy to hear that, that they would be a force to be reckoned with. Um, I'm not sure if their schedule lines up quite that way. I mean, they've got an interesting one, and Andrew, you can feed into this if you, if you, whatever you think, but App State, uh, that could be a fun one, not just for UNC, but for the entire state of North Carolina. Oh, I agree. You know, imagine, you know, you add in their, their non-conference game against Wake, where I think they, you know, they play four North Carolina teams on their schedule. They also open at South Carolina in Charlotte again, so that'll be really kind of interesting to kind of see what's uh, what's going on there. You know, I, and, you know, as I as I do this whole UNC segment, I am, I am currently playing Mark Morrison's funk classic Return of the Mac. Just, you know, in case you hear anything, which should be the official song for UNC this year, because not going to lie, it's a jam. It's bumping. But I was a lot higher on the Mac Brown hire, I think, than, than a lot of people. And I think the biggest reason for that is I love his coordinator hires. I think bringing in Phil Longo from Ole Miss and Jay Bateman from Army were two of the best coordinator hires a new coach could make. Longo is a guy who I've loved since his time at Sam Houston State, you know, snap the ball fast, score a lot of points. You know, as we were talking about with Wake Forest, you know, there's a lot of high tempo coaches in this team, in this conference now. And then Bateman just did such a great job at a place like Army where you're always going to be undersized. You're probably always going to be a step slow. And he was just able to be successful. They threw a lot of a lot of people. They were somewhat complex. So it'll be really fascinating to see what he's able to do with a lot more talent. The other thing that Mac Brown's really been able to do is he's recruited a lot better than North Carolina was towards the end of, of Larry Fedora's time. Now, I don't think he'll ever build a, a wall around the state like a lot of people talk about, but I do think that he's going to be able to get into the living rooms of some of these better players in the state. You know, his big flip was Sam Howell last year, the four star from Monroe, North Carolina, who he flipped from Florida State, who actually has a really good chance to be the starting quarterback. He had a great throw in the spring game. He was an early enrollee where like a flick of the wrist and threw the ball 65 yards. You know, their only big offensive loss was Anthony Ratliff Williams. So there's some talent on that offense that I think is going to surprise people. And then the secondary should be pretty good. The problem is they got to stop the run. But I, I think that Mac three or four years going to kind of pull this program out, hopefully set a good ground. And it'll be interesting to see what they try to do. Cause I don't think he's a long-term answer. You know, he's kind of an old dude. Well, and uh, Artem, is Max' presence there on the field going to keep you from cheering for UNC? 
No, that doesn't make a big deal to me at all. Okay. Hope he, hope he's successful. Just anywhere, as long as he's anywhere but uh, Texas. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. Well, there you go. All right. Moving on. Another team that's had a, a coaching – I don't know what to call this. Uh, boggle? It's not really a shakeup. It's more of like a uh, a flip, a hop skip. I'm not sure what to think of it. Uh, but, a- Andrew, for those who don't know, do you want to elucidate us on the uh, Miami coaching situation? So – Manny Diaz was the defensive coordinator in Miami last year. He's a really well-respected defensive coordinator, pretty pretty good name in in coaching circles, you know, pretty well-respected, has had some good defenses. He leaves to take the Temple job, and about two weeks later, Mark Richt retires. And the thing you need to know about Manny Diaz is Manny Diaz is from the city of Miami. Manny Diaz's dad was the mayor of the city of Miami. So if there's a guy who is a Miami guy, it's Manny Diaz. Now, this is his first head coaching experience, so it'll be interesting to see how he kind of adapts to the full, you know, having to coach and not just coaching the defense. Apparently, from what I've been reading, he has 100% embraced the old, you know, Miami swag. You know, his team had the turnover chain. You know, they've just gone to being the bad boys. You know, there's I read something about, like, the coaching staff showed up to a coaching clinic like interrupted like a Florida State coaching clinic with like cases of beer, like just doing crazy stuff to, you know, kind of bring that, you know, hard, rough edge back to the University of Miami. Uh, the, uh, the schedule, you know, they're at Florida State as a crossover. They open in week zero against Florida in Orlando next weekend. So that'll be a lot of fun, you know, to definitely kind of get our football Joneses going. You know, they play Louisville, so that's a winnable game. The, the talents there, the interesting thing is they did just name the starting quarterback, and it is not last year's starter, Nikosi Perry. It is not transfer Tate is ass my dude, Martell. It is redshirt freshman Jaron Williams. So that'll be really fascinating. They return an unbelievable amount of linebackers that are just talented. They've been started since they were freshmen. Pinkney, Quarterman, McLeod. Just unbelievable. You know, they're the team to me that's going to challenge Virginia if if they get it all together. You know, Dan Enos, the offensive coordinator, comes over from some time spent at Alabama. So it'll be interesting to see what they really try to do with that offense and they're try you know, try to put together. But the talent's there. You know, with Miami the the question's never been about the talent. It's always been about can they put it together. So that's kind of where you gotta go from here. You know, that that first week game against Florida will go a long way. If they can keep it close or sneak out a win, then this might be the year that you know, Miami really makes a lot of noise. You know, if they get murdered on national television, well, maybe Manny Diaz wasn't the best hire. Well, Artem, I mean, as Andrew points out, this is kind of the talent. The, Miami has always had a large talent pool to work with. Uh, do you see any uh, – how about from this perspective, though, do they have any openings that they should be really concerned about or any depth concerns that they should be looking for? Yeah, from what I saw, Tate Martell was trying to transfer again after he wasn't named the starting quarterback. So Jaron Williams is definitely, I would say, the best choice, at least in my uneducated mind, as far as football goes. Uh, you know, Nkosi showed last season that he wasn't that good. He already played, and they didn't win those games. And 
Tate Martell is honestly a poisonous culture type of dude. I would kick his ass off the team if he keeps spewing that crap. But, you know, those are the two backups they have to work with if Jaron Williams goes down. Uh, I would say Jaron Williams was definitely the best choice as somebody who doesn't have PTSD um, when a defensive players coming at him full speed 280 pounds their biggest thing is going to be how does he handle the pressure and with uh, Manny Diaz being a defensive coach like Andrew said you know know, he's led this defense for a long time now these guys have been in this system can they use the defense more to win games Um, and in in that same kind of theme can the offense keep the tempo and keep the ball for long enough for the defense to not be tired as a defensive coach, that's a head coach. Hopefully that means yes. Hopefully he has some reins over his offensive coordinator in that sense where they're actually helping them stay in games. They're not making any stupid decisions, turnovers in their own red zones, stuff like that. But they're going to have to groom this freshman slowly. And while he's bringing up to speed, you know, you're going to have to have this defense stand up and win some games with some swag. Well, and uh, they the ACC is certainly more interesting when Miami is a good team. So I hope they're not too good, but I would like to see them kind of get back to uh, being a challenging team out of the Coastal. All right, next up, now we're moving on down to the list of not-as-talented teams. Artem, what can you tell us about uh, Duke? Not necessarily a team that's full of talent, but a team that has been challenging – in the coastal, maybe just because it's the coastal, but uh, possibly because they're pretty, they've got some good coaching. It's an old team, and the guy that, that's looking to be starting at quarterback is Clinton Harris. He's a senior, he's been there for a while. So, whereas from a talent perspective, there may be a little bit of drop off after losing Mac Jones to the NFL, it, it, that may not be uh, the full story. You know, you got a guy who's been there for a long time, who knows the system, and hopefully won't lose games for you. Everybody else around him on both sides of the ball is pretty experienced. So as long as that guy is more of a game manager, they're going to win more games than, you know, we potentially think they can. Um, now, the two guys behind him are going to have to get some playing time and develop as well in case he goes down. Um, but they got plenty of talent. they got plenty of experience on the team. Um I think their youngest position is the wide receivers, so those guys are going to have to prove themselves a little bit. Other than that, they're they're looking to, you know, be a contender. Well, uh, Andrew, based on their schedule, do you think they could be a contender uh, given the uh, teams that they've got to go up against this year? No. All right, cool. Well, I'm glad we can move on. <laughs> you know, they – you know, unfortunately it's the – it's the week one ACC of seeing teams get murdered on national television. Duke opens up in Atlanta against Alabama, an angry, pissed off at the ACC Alabama, mind you. <laughs> so that doesn't help them. No idea why they, they would be pissed off at the ACC, honestly. I don't you know, know, who knows? Uh, they get Syracuse and Wake Forest as their crossovers. Pretty decent teams. They play Notre Dame. I just, they go to Virginia Tech, they go to Virginia. There just aren't enough wins for a bowl there. You know, Cutcliffe's did a wonderful job digging them out of the hole that they were in in his 11 years, but he's still under 500. He's 67 and 72. And so, you know, he's at Duke knowing that he probably won't get fired because getting to a bowl game is such a huge accomplishment, and he dug that amount of such a deep hole. 
And they're a team that's always hung their hat on their defense. They've got nine starters back there. So it's a team, kind of like we said with Miami a little bit, that if they're going to win, they're going to have to win playing good defense. Okay. Anything else to add, guys? <laughs> All right. Well, then let's move on. Another team that needs good defense to perform, or at least they have in the past, Virginia Tech. Uh, obviously underperformed last year. I think other than the win against Virginia, they I, they were kind of a disappointing – had a disappointing season. Andrew, where are we looking at Virginia Tech this year? They're just kind of in a disarray. You know, no one's not – sure what's going on a lot of guys transferred out of last year josh jackson the quarterback who had started the year before left you know everyone's just kind of wondering what's going on bud foster's come out and said this is his last season as the defensive coordinator so he's going to retire at the end of the year you know they're not recruiting at the level they usually have you know it's just kind of a you're wondering what's going on in blacksburg they open at Boston College week one, which will be a really fascinating game. Again, to kind of take the temperature and get a feel for them. Their only hard, tough non-conference game is November 2nd at Notre Dame. Other than that, although, you know, to be fair, they did lose to Old Dominion last year. So it is possible for them to lose to them again. <laughs> but they just got to get it sorted out. You know, the story I heard on defense last year was they were really young and they're still really young this year. So that'll be the interesting thing is, you know, Foster really kind of made a name for himself having experienced defenses that were able to play. So he, he really struggled last year with with a young defense, and they were they were really poor. And so it'll be interesting to see if, if these young guys can, in the last year of Bud Foster, buy in. You know, that's what's going to be really fascinating. Well, it'll be interesting to see at least. I, I don't know that it'll change much. But it will be interesting to see for sure. Artem, what do you got to add as far as Virginia Tech goes? Their depth chart looks like they're in disarray. They brought in a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball, and most of their players they brought in last year for defense are quite a bit lower ranked than they're used to, and there's a lot of non-rated guys. They did get a couple transfers to help them out, but like Andrew said, you know, there's a lot of question marks across the board, and when a team that's usually – pretty well known for their good defense is bringing in higher talented offensive guys instead. Uh, something's going on. They're going to have to hopefully figure it out and spend this off season looking for a good replacement for Bud. Wow. Okay. Well, I guess that's the take we're taking with Virginia Tech then. All right. How about Pitt? Artem, looking at last year, Pitt was kind of an inch in an interesting situation uh, where they kind of came out as a dark horse to win the coastal at the end of the year, even though that didn't end up panning out. Uh, what are what are you feeling with Pitt this year? Are they going to be bottom tier, or could they potentially make a run? Or is it just the way that the coastal works out that everybody could make a run? I mean, they're they're looking like they're bringing quite a bit back. Uh, this is kind of like the same conversation we had about, I believe it was Virginia. There's a lot of guys back. Um, it's a team that uses a fullback, so you know they're going to control the clock uh, with their run game. You got A.J. Davis back. Uh, a lot of talent across the board, and that's a lot of talent that's been there for a long time. They're, they're an experienced team with not a lot of freshmen in the two deep. They didn't bring a very good uh, 
class in as far as talent goes, but good news for them is it's a school where talent needs to be developed, and a lot of the guys that are playing now have been playing for a couple of years, so nothing to worry about there, and not a lot of those guys in there are in the too deep, which is a good sign of uh, a program that doesn't need players to play right away. That, that means like either those players are not good enough or they've developed the talent they have really well, and I think that's, that's what's going to happen. I think they're going to have another decent year. All right, well, Andrew, who do you got as far as pick goes? I feel like we're racing towards a certain goal, but who, before we get there, what do you got to say about Pitt? They've got a somewhat of a tough schedule. Their crossovers are Syracuse and Boston College, who we expect to be pretty decent. They have to go to Virginia Tech. They play at Penn State and UCF in their non-conference, so there's some tough their, – their biggest change was the, the offensive coordinator, Sean Watson, got fired. And they brought in former UMass head coach Mark Whipple. Whipple has been in the ACC before. He was the head. Co- he was the OC at Miami for a couple of years. He spent some time with the Steelers. You know, he's he's kind of known to be a pretty pretty good quarterbacks coach, offensive coordinator. So I'm interested to see what kind of changes they make there. They really leaned heavily on the run last year. They had two thousand yard rushers in Quadre Allison and Darren Hall, both of which are gone. So that's going to be interesting to see, again, how Whipple really kind of retools that offense and what he's able to do there. The The defense, it's you know it's what Narduzzi wants to do, and they play. Their biggest problem is they, they lost their leading defensive end, Rashad Weaver. He tore his ACL in, in camp, so he's done for the year. So, again, they're a team that you know kind of fits in that middle of the coastal. We're not really sure what we're going to get could catch lightning in a bottle again, could flame out and win four games. You know, I feel like that's kind of what you say about everyone at the Coastal at some point. Well, okay then. Let's talk about the one last team in the Coastal that we haven't covered so far. We are, have to. Are we Are we another one of those teams, Andrew? Georgia Tech? Are they another one of those teams that could flare up and catch fire? Uh, hypothetically, yeah, I guess. <laughs> You know, Georgia Tech's biggest problems are on the offense and the defensive line. You know, the offensive line is learning a completely new technique. So it'll be really interesting to see how those guys adapt and learn and what they're able to do. And then the defensive line, I mean, you lost most of your tackles for a loss. You lost most of your sacks. So that's going to be kind of a struggle. Obviously, again, as we talk about as a theme here, you want to watch someone get murdered on national television. Watch the Georgia Tech at Clemson game week one on a Thursday. You know, tech schedule's pretty tough, too. You get USF at Temple, and then Georgia as all road games, which are, again, teams we think are going to be pretty decent. You know, NC State's your other crossover, which is, again, a pretty decent team. I mean, I think Georgia Tech's in for a slog this year. You know, it's kind of a year zero reset for Jeff Collins and, and the staff. You know, he's done a good job recruiting a little bit better. And he's really made a name for himself with some pretty high-profile, big-name transfers coming in. So it'll be interesting to see if, you know, and I think they're a team, too, that will be better later in the year. You know, if Georgia Tech can, you know, go into the Miami game 4-2, and two, I think maybe you could sneak your way into a bowl game somewhere. But, you know, if, if you don't beat, say, USF, Temple, UNC, I mean, I think you're in for a really long, rough season for the Jackets. Yeah, fun thoughts. I mean, Artem, you've been here for the team talk. You know my take. It's kind of like a, if we're lucky, we'll get four wins. 
And uh, you just heard what Andrew had to say. Do you have anything to add to the Georgia Tech discussion? <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask Andrew how he thinks Oliver is going to play into this offense and if he, he thinks he's going to start, you know, transitioning out of a Georgia Tech system where you don't throw as often, but you still need to be accurate. But now you're tossing the ball a bunch of times a game. You know, they're, they're being mum, obviously, about who the starter is going to be. Uh, Oliver set school passing records in high school at Northside Warner Robins, which is a pretty big-time, well-respected high school program in Georgia. So he's definitely a guy who does have somewhat of an ability to throw the ball. But it, it's a crowded quarterback room, as it is. Lucas Johnson from San Diego is a guy who was recruited because he had a better arm and probably would have been the backup last year if he hadn't gotten hurt. And then James Graham was a four-star recruit out of Fitzgerald, who's a kid that everyone's really high on athletic. Uh, to me, the best thing that Dave Patnode, the offensive coordinator, could do was to spend a lot of a lot of time in a gun split set with two running backs because that's where the depth of talent on offense is. You know, I like Oliver a lot. I think he's underrated as a passer. But I'm also not at practice, and I'm not seeing what they're seeing. So it'll be really interesting who ends up starting. Do we keep the same starter all year? We've got a really, really, you know, a freshman in Jordan Yates who everyone's really, really excited about. You know, so does he get thrown in for one or two, three, four games just because, you know, you can play four games and still redshirt? You know, it's, it's going to be kind of a fascinating development there. But I don't know. You know, if Pat Node can adjust, I think we'll be a lot better. But the problem is, and this is my pseudo conspiracy theory, is there's a lot of stuff coming out from the staff on message about, you know, pro style, spread, NFL, blah, 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 buzzwords that don't really mean anything. And there was arguments from Temple about Pat Node really not being able to open his offense up because Temple boosters and the AD wanted to do something certain. And I'm really concerned we're getting somewhere in there as well, where Georgia Tech wants to get away from the options so fast and so hard that they sacrifice doing what would help them win games to look better in the long term. And I know that's crazy, but sometimes coaches are their own worst enemies. So at times that's one of my concerns too. But I mean, that's, that's a thought I had, too. Two back sets, man. So if it's yeah. obvious to you and me, hopefully it's obvious to them. Well, you know, there's a lot of stuff. But, you know, as everyone says, everyone's favorite player is the backup quarterback. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think the biggest position of concern is tied in, too, right? You said they brought in Tyler Davis as the, the graduate transfer and then uh, brought in Nathan Tyler in the class as the tight end freshman. But I don't really see any information. Do you guys have any other tight ends on campus? Um, so Dylan Devaney. Came in. He was a, a three-star kid from New Jersey, who we signed as a as a tight end. And then, you know, we moved a bunch of guys around. Some some backup linebackers that really weren't getting playing time. But I think Davis is probably the guy that's going to take most of the snaps at tight end. There's a walk-on that I really like in Dylan Leonard, but he's kind of a tweener, and obviously he was a walk-on for a reason. But yeah, that's that's going to be a big a big question as well as, is having to integrate a tight end from really only having two of them that were recruited to play the position in Davis and then Devaney that we signed from New Jersey. Who's this Jamius Griffin guy and how good he, is he? Uh, he was a four-star running back out of Rome. He was, uh, I think he was the running back of the year in the state of Georgia. His brother's a defensive tackle. He was a big flip from NC state late in the recruiting. He was kind of the feather in the cap for, 
Coach Collins in the recruiting class. I think he's a pretty good player. The thing is, he steps into probably the deepest position we have on offense at running back because, you know, being an option team, we've, we had 12 to 15 running backs on the roster, and so they've really cycled a lot of guys. So we're definitely going to be a back-by-committee type team next year, so that's really going to be fascinating. But I think Griffin will get a lot of chances because, again, he's kind of the, the big name in the class and the guy that you have to play whether he really should play or not. Plus, again, you can play him four games because of the new register rules. I mean, if he's smart, you guys get blown out by Clemson, and he treats that as a situation that uh, we're never going to lose this bad again. <laughs> it's only yeah. up from here. Exactly. You know, when Clemson murders us on national television. You just got to sacrifice one player to take out Trevor Lawrence, and then it's a game. <laughs> If, if we you know, I don't think I don't think they could probably line up to just direct snap to Travis Etienne the entire game, but I don't know if it would matter. <laughs> Sacrifice two players, one to take out Travis Etienne, and one to take out Travis Lawrence. Yeah, but then you've got T. Higgins and Justin Ross, and you know <laughs> we would lose half our team sacrificing them to take guys out. But then their guys would be scared, and at a certain point, you'd get to a situation where their guys don't know what they're doing, or they're scared because they're going to get taken out. Well, I'm wondering if this is like one of those video game challenge levels where it's like, when you're when your game with only starting a wide receiver at quarterback. I was like, oh, great. Uh, if we lose by 20, it'll be it'll be a happy day, I suppose. I mean, the spread's the spread's 34. Oh, so my. you know, I feel like if we cover the spread, that's a win. Yeah. Dare to dream, my friend. Oh, all right. Y'all got anything else to add on the on the ACC? I think. I mean, it's it's Clemson's world. We're just kind of living in it. I was about to say. I think we all kind of agree that the it's Clemson, and Clemson's gonna probably be in the playoff unless something weird happens. Given that we'll they're. See. Yeah, I mean, even a one loss Clemson, just because I, you know, going undefeated is tough. But there there aren't enough games on their schedule for them to have more than one loss. Like that would be a bigger surprise to me than anything else was if Clemson somehow had more than one loss I think if Trevor Lawrence is stupid enough to get injured they could rack up some losses pretty quickly I think the, the a lot of the guys they had on the team last season are coming back but the ones that aren't all got drafted and those were at key positions that kind of gave them that advantage against Alabama like the defensive line will be completely new yes talented but new so in the games that Trevor Lawrence got Got injured, I think, one time, and um, and they they didn't know what to do. They still won, but it was you know by what one or two points. And then yeah. the A and M game, Trevor Lawrence was too young. He had to have uh, Bryant to help him. So if you get another situation like that where Trevor Lawrence is kind of it's out of his hands, you could potentially win a game like that. I don't know, man. You you're sleeping on Chase Bryce, which may be the best quarterback name in the history of quarterback game. <laughs> I'm not. He still won him the game that Trevor Lawrence came out of, but he's also not getting a lot of those meaningful snaps. Yeah, he's been on campus for a while, but he's also not Trevor Lawrence. That's uh, it's interesting that you talk about that. That's that's actually key that I agree with you is is those reps and those snaps at practice. So, I don't know. Clemson's good. I mean, we could have had an entire podcast about the ACC and just said Clemson is good over and over again. Yeah, probably could have wrapped it up in the first 10 minutes, given that we covered Clemson, and that's about all there is to say. All right. Thanks, thanks guys, for being here, and thanks to our listeners for tuning in. 
Check us out late, uh, later and uh, at Toe Meets Leather. Uh, I fucked up the end, ending thing again, so I'm just going to wrap it up. Y'all have a good rest of your week. Good night, everybody. <laughs>